This is Positive Parenting. Parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brott. Hey there, welcome to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, the founder of MrDad.com. A variety of people can raise a child and have relationships with him. There are countless combinations of biology and adoption and remarriage, and every version of a parent-child relationship has its own particularities. But there remains between the primary caretaker and the child the core fact that it is the grown-ups, usually but not always the parents, who have the authority to make decisions, large and small, that will shape the child's development and the child and caretaker's relationship with each other. No, I'm talking here about authority, not discipline. Discipline refers to rules and a code of behavior, as well as training to obey the code and punishments for disobedience. Discipline of children requires strategies, techniques, and consequences when the rules have been broken. Authority is having the power to enforce the rules. Because you are responsible for a dependent child, you have the power and, as he gets older, influence over even the smallest and most intimate aspects of her life. Just having the power and influence is not enough, though. Reliability is key. Your child won't believe you if you don't feel that your power is legitimate and appropriate, something you communicate through your behavior, both verbal and nonverbal. In this part of today's show, we're going to be focusing on parental authority, what it is and how to get it back. I'm Armin Brott. It all starts right after this. More with Mr. Dad. Armin Brott, after this, from the MrDad.com radio network. If you love them enough to listen to them practice the same song on tuba, please be done. Over and over and over and over and over. Then surely you'll check NHTSA.gov slash the right seat to make sure they're correctly buckled in the back seat. Sounds good, honey. Check today at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Act Council. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy. Or you, your best man, your worst man. You, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, and my guest for this part of today's show is Adelia Moore, who's the author of Being the Grown-Up, Love, Limits, and the Natural Authority of Parenthood. Adelia, thanks for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. I'm glad to be here. I think we need to start off with with the definition of authority and maybe natural authority because I think that's one of the the things I I, I think parents struggle with a lot is they... Sometimes a lot of people see parenthood and or raising children as a hierarchical thing, that we are the authority figures and they should do what we tell them to do and we know better. And uh, so l- let's start off with a, a common definition that we can understand anyway as we move forward in our discussion about what you mean by natural authority and authority in general. Yeah, I, I'm glad that you separated the two because I have found that people have been a bit nervous <laughs> at the thought of authority, and in fact, it's related to, you know, the whole reason I wrote the book in the first place. Um, 
So it's, it's, it actually is pretty hard for me to give a definition, which is, you know, my book in a way is a definition. But um, I'll start with natural authority, and then I'll give sort of a, um, a little postscript about authority as, as, as it's been thought about in developmental psychology. For me, authority translates almost into presence um, and comes from the responsibility that parents, as the big animals who have little animals depend on, on them, um, are responsible for, the responsibility that parents have for their small animals. And um, the, for me, I'm, I'm very interested in ethology, which is a study of animal behavior. And I got interested in it um, back when I was getting my master's in child development because I have I four sons. At the time, I had three. And I was intrigued with how they interacted with each other. And it's something that, as a therapist, I stay very tuned into. And I noticed um, years ago in my clinical practice that um, there were many parents who didn't feel comfortable with authority. And in this case, I was probably more, fo in the beginning, I was more focused on discipline. So authority would be, in this case, sort of the influence, power, mm -hmm. you know, to get kids to do what you want them to and, do. And they didn't feel comfortable with being that authority figure? Or they yeah, didn't I, feel, or they had two, problems with, two with authority? directions that parents went, and I think this has continued to be true in my observation, which is some would go in the direction of, therefore, uh, just screaming and yelling because they couldn't get the kids to do what they wanted them to do and they needed to do, and and certain things have to be done in the course of a day. And the other direction was, well, just give the kids what they want, let the kids decide. But the trouble is you still have to get kids out of the house. There's still things that need to be done. So giving kids that power and that authority um, doesn't really work. Mm -hmm. um, so what I developed was this idea, I mean, I, I'm, it, it turns out that the phrase natural authority uh, first occurred in my life in a book I read in college, which I didn't remember until I came across it doing research for the book. Um, and, and that author, George Dennison, talked about the way of the world, what children observe about what adults do. And to me, that's why it's natural. Small animals depend on the big ones, and they see how the world is working. Um, for me, the What's very important is to emphasize this traditional um, view of authority that was developed in developmental psychology or studied by a woman named Diana Bomrand. And she made, she distinguished three kinds of um, parenting styles in relation to oh, authority. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've actually written quite a bit about her authoritarian. Yeah, you know about yeah. it, and I don't know if your listeners do. So just very briefly. Sure. Um, on the one end, you have permissive, and on the other end, you have authoritarian, and in the middle, you have authoritative. But what parents don't understand, I think, usually about that, that I really have keyed into, and I think you do, too, in your positive parenting philosophy, is that there are two dimensions that parents are relating to their kids around, and one is responsiveness, and one is demandingness. The permissive parent is high in responsiveness, but low in demandingness, so they're responding to their kids' needs and desires, but they're demanding very little of them. The authoritarian parent is high on demandingness, but low on responsiveness. So they're making right. demands of their kids, but they don't really care what their kids need, you know, what their kids' opinions are, if the, you know, all sorts of things. And then in the, it's not really in the middle, but 
in another the another version is the authoritative, which is high in responsiveness and high in demandingness. So you can make demands of your child, and you should, and you need to. But you also need to pay attention to the fact that the child is another person with a lived experience in the world, with whom you're connected, who you want to trust you. So yeah. it's really, I've sort of taken that um, further and said, you know, it's it's because you have, your authority includes that connection, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah. If we were to try to translate the title of being the grown-up, would you be okay with something like, don't be their friend? Well, I really, as a psychologist, when I work with families, I especially always like to have a positive way of thinking about it rather than a negative. <laughs> okay, that's fair. That's so fair. So that's why I chose the title I did. Right. And, but I, and I didn't even say be the grown-up. Just because being. Because to me, right. I'm making a distinction also between parenting, parenting styles, and parenthood. And I'm talking about parenthood. Right. And the essence right. of parenthood is being the grown-up. It's a condition you are. So... Um, so I so I guess I wouldn't be comfortable with that suggestion, okay. but I think you're right, and I think that's a direction a lot of parents go, and I think that comes partly from anxiety about rejection. Yeah. Because in a certain way, authority and power can feel like separation, you know, from a child or yeah. fear of separation. Well, I think that that, that in my jaded view of the world these days, I think that there's a, a lot of the idea that you mentioned at the very beginning we were just talking about, about people not being comfortable with authority, is people are afraid to take the lead in the parenting dance, if you want. Yeah, and, that's a great way to put and, it. And, in, yeah. you know, that, that there has to be a little bit of a hierarchy. You can respect your children's opinions, and you should be responsive to their needs, but at some point the parents need to have 51% of the votes. I think that's a great way to put it because, it, as I'm saying, you either have to go to school or have to provide education in some form. Kids need sleep. Kids need food. Kids need a roof over their head. And it's up to you to take the lead. And I, and I do talk a lot about interaction, and, um, and, and it is a dance in which you're taking the lead. And, you know, the, to me, the abiding image for it is really make way for ducklings. Um, you <laughs> Just know, the, talking about the mother that duck book. or the mother goose or the and yeah. swans often, and geese too, are often together, both parents with a passel of um, little ones swimming behind them. And, you know, that's a much simpler version of what I'm talking about. It's, it's called imprinting, and it's not the same as attachment, and it's not, but it's related to it. And it's sort of to me, when in doubt, okay, they are looking to me. You know, when you have a new puppy, you're, if you want the puppy to come to you when he's running away, it's best to turn around and go the other direction and they follow you. And I, I think parents are, are in doubt about their own ability to lead. And I, I, if there's one message my book wants to convey, it's to have more confidence. Um, develop some clarity about what your values are for your family. Work it out with your co-parent, whether you're living with him or her or not. Um, and then communicate that with confidence to your mm-hmm. kids, and and more likely than not, they'll follow. They won't always follow. No, of course but not. Finally, they will, and you may have some conflicts along the way. Right, and that's you know, okay Adelia, too. We're coming up on a break, so I just want you to start this topic, and we'll probably okay. have to continue it. But how do you begin the process of figuring out where you are on Diana Baumann's scale or on the scale that you're talking about, just trying to figure out what kind of a parent you are and what your relationship with authority is and your views on it? Wow, that's a good question. Um, 
have to think, let me think about that for a moment. I think being paying attention to yourself and what you do is a place to start. I mean, for anything, and when I work with couples or with individuals, I do suggest and coach a lot of self-observation. Well, you know what? Let, let me let me just let me just stop you right there. We'll take take a quick break. I'm talking with Adelia Moore, who's the author of Being the Grown Up. Love, Limits, and the Natural Authority of Parenthood. And again, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to obviously keep talking to Adelia about what being the grown-up means and about authority. But, and we're going to continue this idea about how, just, just for a minute, about what we can do as parents to try to figure out where we are, where we're coming from, and then we can figure out from there how to move forward and, and change the way that we are being in being the grown-up. I'm Armin Brock. You're listening to Positive Parenting. I'm in almost every school bus and classroom. I go to school with your children. We say the Pledge of Allegiance together. You see me around the neighborhood and you tell me that I'm a pretty good kid. Well, I'm one out of every five children in America and I'm struggling with hunger. This problem is closer than you think. My teacher tells me we can grow up to be whatever we want. I want to grow up to be someone who doesn't go to bed hungry. There's enough food in this country to feed everybody. Please visit feedingamerica.org today and find your local food bank for ways to help. Every dollar you donate helps provide eight meals for kids like me, quietly struggling with hunger. Together, we are Feeding America. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Hey, is that a faucet running? Nope, that's not a faucet. That's a river rushing through the forest. It is? Yeah, forest rivers provide over 100 million people with clean water to drink. The water comes straight from the forest to us. In fact... What? I can't hear you because of the vacuum! That's not a vacuum. That's the trees in the forest cleaning up the air we breathe. How do trees clean the air? They soak up the dirty air on their leaves, branches, and trunks which means clean air for us. Hmm, cool. I didn't know that. Yep, but the forest does more than give us clean air and water. It gives us shade for hot days, birds to listen to, and trees to climb. Wow, that's awesome. I didn't know how cool the forest could be. Hey, let's go explore some more. Visit the forest today and enjoy all it does just for you. To learn more about the forest and find one near you, go to discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Broad. If you're just joining us, talking with Adelia Moore, who's the author of Being the Grown-Up, Love, Limits, and the Natural Authority of Parenthood. So can we get back to this question of just a, a, a little bit of an exercise? I don't want to call it an exercise because I don't want to make it too much work, but, mm, but yeah. something that people can do for a, a little bit, perhaps, as they're just falling asleep or just to take a couple of minutes to say, you know, what kind of a parent am I? Where did I get my ideas about parenthood and about the relationships between kids? And because I think that's going to help to figure out how we can we can be better. Well, I would come at it a little differently. Although I think those are good questions. Um, you know, all of us respond to stories, and I what I do when I work with people on any issue is to ask them to tell me a story about something that happened yesterday, this morning, you know, something five years ago that I remember. And in fact, I found when I was reading my book, I was fascinated 
um, that there were a number of moments that I remembered in my own um, development as a parent over the course of the 29 years I had kids at home. Um, so the example I use in my book to demonstrate the Diana Bomrin um, uh, sort of array is an example where a child has a lot of homework, has, is getting up past her bedtime, you know, is up past her bedtime. Her dad comes in to talk to her about it. And I give three different ways that could play out. And one is you got to go to bed. I don't care what the teacher says. You know, I've had it. It's too late. So the, the child doesn't get a chance to answer. Another version is, oh, honey, I'm so sorry. You know, what, what's happening here? The honey child <laughs> explains. The dad offers to do the homework or write the note or drive her to school oh, in the morning if she has to work. Sort of bends over backwards to, um, to fulfill her needs without really considering what the larger picture is. And I would say the authoritative parent is very considerate of the child's sleep, but also is considering the fact that uh, perhaps this was an assignment she knew about, perhaps she started late, perhaps she was texting, you know, who knows what the reasons were. So maybe explores, you know, where, how'd we get here? How'd we get to 10 o'clock when your bedtime is 9 and you've got this report you haven't finished? Um, and maybe you know, give her some advice about how to go for 10 or 15 more minutes and say, you know, it sounds like we're going to have to talk about the routines, the homework routines, but for this report, uh, you may have to let it go. Go to bed now and, um, and, and suffer through whatever the consequences. So it would be sort of both caring about her needs, offering to give her some help on those needs, but um, also acknowledging, you know, the system, the school, the routine. So, you know, that would sort of be... A, an example of a way you could talk through. So you might say to yourself, well, in the last thing that happened with us, uh, you know, the dishwasher was supposed to be emptied, and it isn't. Do I just do it? You know, do I start nagging at the kid but not really mean it? Do I um, negotiate with him about when he's going to do it? And um, negotiation isn't all bad, but there has to be a bottom line. So it's sort of saying, you know, do I do I have a bottom line? Where is it? What happens when that when I'm challenged? How do I react? Mm -hmm. And I think it's tricky. It's not something I don't think it's almost ever too late, but I think it's tricky. So I don't know if that helps. Maybe you want to ask me a question or two to sort of draw that out a little more. <laughs> no, I, I think that, that that's a good place to start. Um, I, I think you know, we, I don't want to spend too much time on the analysis part of it or trying yeah. to figure out where you are, but I, I think I, I want to move on to some of the other ideas in the book that you talk about that are, that are particularly provocative. One about e bodies regulating each other and and how the way that we do something can trigger something in the child that in turn triggers something in us, and pretty soon a situation can just be completely out of control where it might have started off as a perfectly lovely day and all yeah. of a sudden there's an explosion and, and everybody's sitting around looking at each other and nobody knows quite how we got here. Or how they got there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad you brought that up. It, it's, it's such a central idea to me and it's something that sometimes gets lost in even the discussions I've had about the book because we can get stuck on authority and... Um, but this idea of regulation has become very um, trendy, if you might say, 
in in psychology in recent years, mostly because of our increasing knowledge about um, the nervous system, and uh, particularly um, that group of researchers um, in attachment, and it's usually attachment and emotional regulation kind of going together. And and the idea is that not just parents and children, but you know couples, all all people are tuned into each other. And essentially, you know, we want to get along with each other. Humans do want to cooperate. But we do have things that trigger us and make us nervous, and we're sort of on the lookout for prey, as it were, something that's bothersome. Um, so I think being aware of that, being aware of how it's carried in your voice, how it's carried in your body, um, is, is crucial to getting along. And sometimes, uh, and I, I counsel this <laughs> to almost anyone, including myself and my husband, and we've been you know, married for 47 years and together 51, so we know each other quite well and we're quite tuned into each other. But sometimes I'll just say, let's just have a hug because we clearly are <laughs> we're not getting anywhere where we're going. And that's a wonderful thing to do with a child, too, and can be disarming. Um, or a touch, you know, a touch on the shoulder. Touch is an enormously underestimated mm, part yeah. of um, parenthood and of parenting, I could even say, you know, that, that we, we get we sort of get on each of us on our side of the boundary and and we sort of holding fast rather than trying to figure out a way that we can actually connect. So yeah. regulation is, is a way um, that our bodies have of, you know, working with each other as we as we work hard to stay connected because that's really what we all want to do. You know, in part of the staying connected thing, I'm wondering, you mentioned that it's never too late to start. And so that immediately gets me thinking about teenagers and, and parents who might be listening who have not done a terribly good job of, of making boundaries between themselves and their kids as far as authority goes. Mm-hmm. How do you begin to have a conversation with a child? It doesn't have to be a teenager. It could be younger, but probably yeah. so that they can under, they have to be old enough to understand this, that maybe some things are going to change in our relationship, that I, I really I need you to do xyz or i need you to listen to me or here's why i'm going to be taking the lead to get back to that analogy well i um i would say a couple things one is a child is almost never too young to talk about this you would just talk about it in a different way right and that comes quite naturally you know we 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 are pretty good humans at figuring out how to change our language in relation to who we're talking to and i would say and again I, i would uh, generalize this to almost any conversation that you're nervous about or that has the high stakes is number one don't have it when you're in the middle of a fight or even just after a fight find a time and i used to like to talk to my kids when i was driving them somewhere because we didn't have to look at each other and driving them at night was even better yes exactly <laughs> so and so one thing is sort of be 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 shoulder to shoulder as it were be be um almost on equal footing and secondly, to really have curiosity, because even if you ultimately have a bottom line that you need to communicate, if you're curious, you're going to sort of, um, your child is more likely to buy in, because they believe that you, you do want to know what they think, and you want to know what's been going on for them. And if you do that, because there's a lot we don't know about each other, especially when our kids are teens and have this very complicated world of relationships that they're experiencing. Um, and you don't know until you ask how you may be affecting them. So in that way, it's, it's, it's so different from authority the way you think about it. But I, to go back to your core thing that you seem to tapped into that I love is this idea of taking the lead. Um, 
but you're also offering guidance, and you do have more experience in the world, but you don't have their experience. So that's where the right. curiosity comes in. Right, that's an and, important and I, thing. I, you don't have their experience. Let me add one thing yeah. to, to both that and to the bodies, which I, I wanted to mention and didn't, that I think is a wonderful concept. There's a, neurologist, a neuroscientist named Bud Craig, uh, from whom I learned, and I don't know if it's his term, but from whom I learned the idea of global emotional moment. And that is at any moment, your whole nervous system, your gut, your brain is in a global emotional moment. And that's what you're tuning into. And that's your curiosity could lead you to that. So it's a little off, but I, I just wanted to add that because I think it's a wonderful thing to remember. You know, tired, hungry, irritable. Yeah. Anxious. Adelia Moore is the author of Being the Grown-Up, Love, Limits, and the Natural Authority of Parenthood. Really fascinating book. There's all sorts of wonderful things in here that will get you thinking about your being a grown-up and your parenthood generally in a probably different way. Adelia, thanks for joining us. Great to have you. Thanks so much. 911, what is your emergency? My kid shot himself. All right, where's the wounds? 911, what's your emergency? Please help. My son shot his brother. 911, what is your emergency? Okay. 911, Every day, eight kids and teens are unintentionally killed or injured by loaded and unlocked guns. Learn how to make your home safer at endfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and End Family Fire. This is the story of a very special woman. Just a few knew about her superpowers. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her Mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources at aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, and it's time for an Ask Mr. Dad segment. Dear Mr. Dad, my wife is pregnant, and I'm not sure I'm cut out to be a father. My wife and I have been talking, and it's clear she has high expectations. She wants me to be as involved as she is, playing with the baby, reading to it, feeding, changing, and everything else. The problem is that I'm just not interested in being that involved, and I have no idea what to do anyway. Plus, I like my life just the way it is. As you can imagine, though, my wife's not happy at all about my attitude. Is there something wrong with me? Is there anything I can do that will somehow make me more interested in being a good dad and save my marriage? What fascinating questions. Of course, it would have been better if you and your wife could have had the discussions you're having now before she got pregnant, but better late than never. To answer your first question first, no, there's nothing wrong with you. A lot of guys are perfectly happy with their lives just as they are, and the prospect of caring for a child can be frightening. However, given that she's already pregnant and you're clearly interested in staying married, the fact is that your life is about to change in a big way and it won't ever be quite the same again. In addition, not everyone, women included, has the desire or is cut out to be a hands-on parent. And even if they did, not all couples will be equally involved. In my experience, one of the main reasons men aren't interested in becoming fathers is that they don't understand just how critical they are to their children's development and how being an actively involved dad can positively affect them and their partners. So before you decide to opt out of being a dad, consider this. Children with involved dads do better in school, 
They get better grades and test scores. They have a better chance of going on to college. They have more fulfilling careers. They do better on all sorts of IQ and intelligence tests. They get along better with their peers, manage their emotions better, have fewer discipline problems, and are less likely to start smoking or drinking or to become teen parents. The overwhelming percentage of people in prisons and the overwhelming percentage of school shooters and ISIS fighters were raised in homes with absent or uninvolved fathers. The more involved you get with your child, the easier it'll become and the more you'll want to do it. It actually gets kind of addicting. The longer you wait, the harder it'll be. If you don't start now, one of these days you'll turn around and your child will be 18 and you'll wish you'd had a better relationship. The more involved you are, the happier your wife will be the better your marriage will be, and the longer it'll last. Dads who are involved actively with their kids tend to be happier in general and more satisfied in their jobs. So, how to begin? Step one is to get educated. I'd suggest you pick up a copy of my book, The Expectant Father. Getting involved during pregnancy will make it easier to be involved after the baby arrives. And once the baby does arrive, get a copy of The New Father, A Dad's Guide to the First Year which is filled with tons of age-appropriate activities and suggestions. Then, jump in. It's a little hard in the early months when just about all the baby does is sleep and fill diapers. But babies just want to be with you. They don't really care where you're going or what you're saying or what you're doing. Reading and playing are great, but if your baby is healthy, there's no reason you can't take him or her almost anywhere you'd go on your own, whether that's to the grocery store, museums, restaurants, or even outdoor concerts just as long as you're not standing too close to the speakers. Thanks for listening to Positive Parenting. You can get more information on today's show and what we're working on in the weeks ahead at MrDad.com. While you're there, visit the MrDad.com gift shop with everything you need to help you become the dad or mom you want to be. Positive Parenting is a production of the MrDad.com radio network. Now, go be a great parent.